Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Uh, we're going to go into the book of 1 John. Uh, we've been going through this series in 1 John, and uh, there's a lot that you know the Lord has been revealing to us through it. But uh, before we begin, please join me in a word of prayer, and uh, let's ask the Lord to just really open our hearts. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for giving your son to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, through him that we have been reconciled, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts to your word uh, this morning. Uh, let your word speak to us. Lord, we know that as your word tells us, that we've received an anointing from the Holy One. And I pray that you would give us that anointing to receive it, to hear it, to rejoice in your word, to see Jesus in it. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen us, help us to see Jesus above all things, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been uh, going through this series, and asking ourselves this question that First John really kind of answers for us, but how can you know that you know that you're a Christian, right? How do you know that you know God himself and have this personal relationship with him? And there are several things that First John has been talking about, and the reality is that you know that God has entered into your life because you have this relationship with him. You've experienced him, and you've experienced him because you've also experienced the conviction of your sin, your guilt before God. But even as you've experienced this guilt before God, you've received this forgiveness. This forgiveness is real. You know uh, Jesus is your advocate. He is your defense. He is your propitiation. We talked about all of that. And then all of a sudden, God gives you a new heart. And this heart is one that seeks to really obey him. So we want to, we're learning to walk in his light, in his path. Last week, we talked also about a couple things. And we talked about just your heart is changing and and uh, you find your heart becoming more loving. Suddenly, there's this love for people that wasn't there before. You know, some people might be temperamentally very nice, very kind kind of people, but that's different from actually being loving. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you find yourself that there's this, there's this love, you know, that, that comes upon you. And, uh, and then we talked about fighting off worldliness and what that means. So, you know, there's a lot of good things about the world. Uh, it's beautiful. It's good. But you are finding yourself that the things of this world do not fully satisfy. And it's starting to lose its grip. And you're starting to see Jesus more and more. And this is kind of what uh, we're talking about today as well. So some of us, we were having lunch uh, yesterday. And uh, we were talking about this question. But can you absolutely trust anything? right? Can you trust? Is there anything that you completely trust 100%? We're going around and we're talking about this, and uh, I saw a lot of heads nodding no. There's a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of stuff that we can't, we have a hard time completely trusting. And someone was talking about even like if you look up information on Google, it's hard to even trust what you find on Google, Right? Like, do you know like, the information that they're feeding you or they're curating to you? Can you trust that information? And you know, they have to look at all these other sources. Before, I think there was a saying that you know, it didn't happen if you didn't take a photo or if you didn't take a picture of it. It didn't happen, right? But now we live in a day and age where it's like 
AI, there's all these uh, images that can be generated, and you don't know if these images are, are fake, if they're real. Uh, they've, I've heard recently that I guess they're putting like generated images of people, uh, like actors, celebrities, even the presidential, and then they're putting, like, they can generate what this person says, right? And it actually sounds and looks real, right? So that's another thing. Like, you can't even trust your senses sometimes in looking at these things. Uh, we live in a day and age where I think this question, is there anything you can completely trust? Is there anything that you can completely bank your, your faith upon this is becoming an issue in our day and age. How can I know? How can I know that I know God? How can I tell that God is real in my life? And I think that's a, that's a real question that we can ask ourselves. John is really concerned about your assurance and your confidence. And this is what this letter is all about. And there's one simple thing I want to communicate today, and that is that Christian faith or Christianity is both a deeply experienced as well as believed truth in the heart. It is both a deeply experienced as well as believed truth in the heart. And this is kind of what this passage is getting at. But first of all, Christian faith is based on deeply believed truth. Deeply believed truth. So look at verses 18 to 19. John says, children, it's the last hour as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. What is John getting at? This, all this kind of strange language, right, of the Antichrist, and Antichrists have come, and all of these things. Well, John is really addressing a group of people who were once part of the church, inside the church, and uh, we know them now as basically the Gnostics, and these Gnostic people who claim to be believers, they were basically pitting the body and the soul against one another. And they were basically saying, the spirit is good, the body is bad, material things are bad, and what they were saying was that Jesus didn't really come in the body because the body is obviously very bad. And so they were denying key truth about who Jesus is, about Christianity. This was what he was dealing with. And he labels them, or he calls them in this passage, anti-Christ. Anti meaning uh, instead of Christ. So, John is setting this truth before the church. Uh, a bunch of people are leaving the church, but he's saying that's okay because it's not about how many people we've got in church. What's more important is that we are worshiping the true God, the truth of who Jesus actually is. And he, he's setting this truth straight about Jesus and about God because he knows that without this core doctrinal truth of who Jesus is, it's going to lead to a lot of not just heresy of belief, but it's going to lead to a heresy of life as well, of how you live your life before God. The same people who are basically denying that Jesus, that he didn't come in his bodily form, were also denying that they had any real sin in their lives to, to confess, to repent of. 
And that's why in 1 John chapter 1, John has to deal with this issue. Hey, if you say that you have no sin in your life, you are actually deceiving yourself, and you're making God out to be a liar. That's how John is putting it. That's how strong it is. And so these untruths about Jesus, about, about who God is, leads to untruths about their so-called relationship with God as well and how you live your life. And that's why there is so much at stake when we talk about the fact that Christianity is based on a convinced truth in the heart. I think that this is really important uh, for us to really grasp, and that is because I think in our day and age, there's a lot of people who say all kinds of stuff, right? Uh, There's some people who say, you know what, it doesn't really matter what you believe. That's not so important. What really matters is how you live. That's, you know, it's really, it's important that you become a, a loving person, more compassion, more kind. That's, that's more important. You know, the, the learning part, the truth, those things, or it's about loving God. You know, that's more important. But really, when people say that, that's, 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 that's what we call a non-sequitur argument, right? What does it mean to even live a good life? How do you define what's good? How do you define what's right? By whose standards are you judging, are you using to define what's actually right or wrong? What's good? What does it mean to actually love God? When we say, well, it's important just to, just to love God, love people. Well, who is God? Who is the God that you're worshiping? So these assumptions that sometimes we have, right? Are we worshiping the right God? Because as we saw earlier, if we don't look to the truth of God, then we'll always construct a God of our own imagination. But I think there's another important principle at work here, and that is that you can't put growth over truth. It doesn't work that way. You can't put growth over truth. Some people, right, are very into kind of the experience, the mystical experience of, of Jesus. And uh, what I love about God's word and about what John is saying is that Christianity is neither left brain or right brain, right? Some people lean more towards left brain, some people more towards right brain. But um, you can't put growth over truth. You've got to put truth before growth. The foundation of our Christian faith is really a foundation of a set of core truths about who God is, who Jesus is, his life, his death, his resurrection. And Jesus himself put it this way when he said in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is what he claims about himself, that he is the way and the truth. And later on in Matthew chapter 16, there's this, uh, there's this scenario where Jesus and Peter are having this conversation. And Jesus asked Peter, well, there's a lot of opinions about who I am. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here Peter rightly confesses that he is the Messiah. He is the chosen, anointed king sent from God. A lot of people think, well, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter. No, that's not what he's talking about. 
Jesus says, I am going to, you are Peter, and I'm going to build on this rock, the rock of your confession of who I am, I am going to build my church. It is a confession of Jesus as the Messiah of God. And Paul later on builds on this, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, if you want to look at what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, what Christianity is all about, you go back to these foundational uh, pillars, rocks, these uh, truths, these confessions of who Jesus is. The Christian faith is really built upon a bedrock of truths. And it's a bedrock by which then we look at also, it becomes a lens and framework by which we look at God, how we understand him, how we view him, how we look at ourselves, how we look at the world around us. That Jesus came as God in the flesh, as a baby. He grew up in a family where his own brothers denied him. He went around claiming to be the Messiah sent from heaven, but ends up crucified. And he rises on the third day. He ascends to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he is exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is who Jesus is. And he offers eternal life and forgiveness of sins to anyone who would repent to confess their sins and put their trust in him. This is the bedrock of Christianity. And when John is talking about the people who have left the church or the people who, uh, there are many who have gone out from us because they were never really, they're really never from us to begin with. He's talking about the fact that they never rested their faith upon the truths of who Jesus really is, upon these core doctrinal truths. There are people who may leave Christianity for all kinds of reasons. And there's all, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? There's a lot of, but if your faith is resting upon who Jesus is, upon the truth that he was crucified and he's risen and he is exalted as a king of kings, no matter what you face in life, no matter, you know, whatever things happen that you don't fully understand, your faith will remain secure because nothing could ever change who Jesus is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And these core truths about who Jesus is, uh, that he is the king, he is savior, he's come to save us, these things will never change. And this is what we rest our faith upon. And so this is a deeply believed truth in the heart. And out of this truth then flows the rest of our lives. And that's the second thing. John is going to get to, and this whole, this whole letter talks more about that as well, but Christian truth is deeply sensed and experienced as well. It's deeply sensed and experienced. Look at verse 20. John says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now, again, th there's this other phrase in this passage or in this, in this verse, like, what is this? 
You've been anointed by the Holy One. Anointed. A lot of times, you know, if you've been in church long enough, you'll hear people talking about, oh, that, you know, that preacher's anointed or that pastor's anointed or whatever. But John, the way he's using this phrase is not, he's not talking about some like, you know, gifted communicator, preacher, teacher. That's not who he's talking about. He's talking about you and I, the everyday Christian, that we've been anointed by the Holy One, by the Holy Spirit. What is the anointing? The anointing is really that the Holy Spirit gives you a deep inward sense of God and Jesus that makes your heart come alive. This is the anointing of the Holy One. That when you hear the truth, when you hear the Word of God, your spirit is coming alive to who He is. I don't know if you've ever felt, right? Um, have you ever felt like as you are hearing God's Word, that it's as if God is just speaking directly to you? Like, how'd you know? How are you reading my mind? Like that kind of feeling? That is the anointing of the Holy One. Or as you read the scriptures, right? As you hear the word, and then all of a sudden, it's like your spiritual eyes and your spiritual senses are coming alive. And your heart is just beginning to respond to these truths with, with joy, right? These, before, like when you read the Bible, it just seemed like words on the page was just dry. It's like, this doesn't make sense. But now when you hear the word, it's like your heart is coming alive to it. That is the anointing of the Holy One. That is what John is talking about. This is how you know you've crossed from death to life. Your, your heart has come alive to the truth. So John Calvin, he has this phrase, and he talks about it in ter terms of this uh, phrase called sensus divinitatis. And it's this idea of the sense of God. And just like how your senses work, right? And when you see something, when you hear something, they tell you something. Uh, and then you begin to, to kind of understand it and believe it. But what he's talking about here, and I believe what John is talking about, is that um, when you hear and when you see Jesus, that you begin to just believe. It's not less than logic, but it's much more. This past week, uh, I was in a few days, I spent a few days, I was in Torrance. And in Torrance, uh, I was part of this thing called um, Training the Trainer. So training a trainer is training those who train church planters. So a few days, uh, we had two trainers there, and they came out, and they gave us great information, great training techniques, great content. It was, it was really good stuff, right? And just even from just a, the way that people learn, human beings learn, I mean, just really good theories and, and uh, good, good stuff with that. But... I think what really kind of caught me was not even so much the content of what they were talking about, but what was catching me was who they were as persons, as people. And there's this idea of, uh, there's, a, there's this word, but these two trainers, they had a sense of like gravitas, uh, the sense in which you can kind of tell the persons that they were. Uh, they, they have a lot of depth behind them. And they have lots of wisdom and lots of like just character formation that's been forged over years and years of being in the trenches of ministry. 
And these guys were basically in their 60s. You know, they've been planting churches, revitalizing churches, things like that. But there's a sense of person of who they were as people, right? But this is kind of what I think Calvin is talking about. And he's, he's saying that when you hear the truth of God's word, you're not just seeing words on the page, or you're not just hearing words, but you are sensing God himself. And this is what John is talking about as well. There's a few things that Jesus says. In John 10, 27, he puts it this way. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But when Jesus is put out there, you hear him. When he's preached, you hear who he is. Your heart is responding. When you see him in Scripture, right, your heart is responding to him. You can hear his voice. And then there's this passage in Mark chapter 8. It's really interesting. This is, a, this is one of those strange passages where Jesus heals this blind guy. But he heals him in, in two stages. And the first time when Jesus touches him, when, when uh, he heals him, he's kind of saying, well, it's a little bit blurry, but I kind of see people walking around me like they're trees. And then what Jesus does is he touches him again. But why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus touch this man again? Somehow did his first miracle not work fully? Was there something kind of off? This is a picture of what Jesus does in our lives. When we come to know him, we kind of see him a little bit. But Jesus has to continually open our eyes. And he has to continually touch us. And as he does this, we begin to see more and more of who Jesus is. When I first came to know Christ, right, I mean, I knew he was my Savior. I knew he was Lord. I knew some things about who Jesus was. And I knew enough to give my life to Jesus. But now, at this point in my life, as I continue to walk with Jesus over these decades and these years, I'm just reaching the tip of the iceberg of who Jesus is. I'm just seeing more and more of his beauty, his goodness, his truth. And it's just this ongoing journey of seeing more and more of who he is. I'm seeing more clearly the world for what it is. I'm seeing more clearly myself or who I am. Um, there's a sense of both inward conviction, but there's this experience of life in Jesus at the same time. And this is what he's getting at. And he says to you and I, let him who has eyes to see, see. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. John Wesley was a fervent worker. You know, he was even a missionary. Um, but then he came to a point in his life where he came into this church at Aldersgate Street. And he said in his testimony, at about a quarter past nine, the pastor was reading from Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans as he described the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. And I felt my heart strangely warm. I saw that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What do you see in this 
this uh, quote. He was working hard for the Lord. He was really committed. But he actually may not even have been saved himself. He wasn't actually seeing Jesus himself. Probably until this point in his life. And this is after he had become a missionary to America. But afterward, but as he heard Romans and as he heard who Christ was, then all of a sudden he, be, he had this conviction of his own sins. He began to see who Christ was. And this is what we call the anointing of the Holy One. The truth of God, the truth of who Jesus is, has finally come alive in his heart, in his soul. When you hear from the Lord, you know, some people will describe, you know, I've heard from the Lord, you know, and I've heard that I'm supposed to marry you or you're supposed to marry me, right? Or I've heard from the Lord, I'm supposed to buy that house in Hawaii or something like that. But as John describes hearing from the Lord, he's talking about, how can you tell? Well, it's because your heart is coming alive to Jesus. You're seeing more of who he is. You're beginning to come to a deeper understanding of even sin in your life, but you're coming to deeper gratitude to Christ and for the gospel. This is how you know. He goes on to say, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he made to us, eternal life. How do you keep the word uh, alive in your heart? He talks about abiding in him. So keep abiding in him. So a few things in this. You've got to fight every day to stay in fellowship with God. Right? Fight every single day to keep in fellowship with God. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of busyness. Life is always going to be busy. There's always going to be tons of things that are going to happen. But you've got to fight for that fellowship with God every single day. Fight off those distractions and say, the most important thing in my life every single day is I've got to go directly to the Word of God. This is by far the most important thing above all things. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a commitment to prioritize time in God's word every single day. Don't let these other things take you away from God's word. I had a Bible that um, I remember in college when I was getting discipled. And uh, it was a navigator's Bible, you know, my fellowship. And, uh, and someone wrote in that navigator's Bible, you know, I remember it was like the the, the kind of the cover page or the front page of the Bible, and they wrote these words, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's true, right? This, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. But if we are in this book, then we will not be in sin. But if we're getting distracted and busy and we're letting a lot of other things kind of take our, our focus away from, from Jesus and his word, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to come into our lives and it's going to just ruin us spiritually. So you've got to prioritize time in God's word. 
And this is the only way that you're going to know what God's will is, is through God's word. So make this a priority. Um, I love what Spurgeon said. And he said that, uh, you know, he said, do you see a, a Bible that's worn out? Then you will see a Christian who's not. Right? And that's, that imagery always ran true in my mind. If you see a Bible that's worn down, you will see a Christian who's not worn down. And uh, anyway, I know we have like these electronic devices and Bibles and everything, right? But you get the point. But anyway, I still recommend that you use a, 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 like a, a physical Bible. You know, Pastor Rick talked about this, right? But, you know, use one of these things uh, when you go into your time in God's Word. Secondly, is to pray God's Word back to God. Pray God's Word back to God. You know, like when you read Scripture, right, a lot of times we make this mistake. We, we read the Bible and we say, okay, I'm done. Check. You know, I've read my Bible. I've done that for the day. Now I can move on. No. When you, read, when you read God's word, pray it back to the Lord. Make it, internalize it, personalize it, like uh, meditate on it, but pray it back to God. Whatever God is speaking to you, trust that God is speaking to you. And trust that there's a reason why he's saying that to you that day as well. And every time as we look at God's word, what is God, we got to ask ourselves, what is God actually trying to say to me? And how do I pray this back to God? How can I confess? How can I thank him? How can I ask him for his help? But pray this word back to God. And then finally, pray God for God to give you firsthand knowledge of who he is through his word. Pray for God to give you firsthand knowledge. Uh, ask God to help you help you see him, to help you see Jesus. A lot of times it's like God is just trying to get through and he's, he's, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm speaking. Like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He, he who has eyes to see, let him see. And we're kind of like that guy, the, the blind guy that Jesus is working on. Well, I kind of see, but it looks like trees. And Jesus is continually working deeper into our hearts. And we're asking, Lord, help me. Help me to see you more clearly. Help me to see you. And so pray and ask God to give you a real heart knowledge of who he is. We're going to go into this time of communion um, as we respond to the Lord. And as we do, communion is a time where we are remembering Christ's death for us on the cross. And every time we partake of communion, we are proclaiming his death until he comes. So take this time to respond to the Lord. Uh, what is God saying to you? How is God speaking to you uh, through his word? And what truth of God's word do you sense the Spirit's anointing? That he's actually speaking to you? What is it in your life where God is leading you to trust and obey him? And say, Lord, I want to be responsive to your word. I want not just to hear it, but I want to be a doer, and I want to actually respond to what you're saying to me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.